Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. I've got some ambient background, something going on. It's building way too much anticipation. Yeah, everybody was, let's just, let's just cut that out. How are we doing? You good? All right. Well, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning, uh, as you may have heard earlier, we're especially honored to have you. Um, if I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to you, I'd love to do so at the end of the service. If you have time, I'll be hanging out down front. And if you have time, just come by if you don't mind and uh, introduce yourself to me and, and let me just hear about how God led you to Solid Rock. Um, if you're looking for a church home, um, I hope that you'll consider making Solid Rock your church home. This is a, this is a great church, a great place to be. Um, and, uh, and I don't just say that because I'm the pastor. I say that because I'm also a member. And, and this is not a place where you're going to find perfect people, but you'll find broken people pursuing a perfect God. So if that's you, we invite you to come be a part of the Solid Rock journey. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, on your phone, uh, your tablet, your gadget, however you get to God's Word. As you turn there, I want to give an update slash announcement on our all-in journey and the new building. Um, if you have no idea what we're talking about, no worries. Um, so we started a, a journey together as a church uh, entitled All In. We believe that that's what God is calling every Christian uh, to do, to live their lives all in, sold out, surrendered to Christ. That when we do that, um, then we, uh, we believe God will work in us and through us in an, in an incredible way. And so we apply that church-wide, and that's the church we desire to be, a church surrendered, sold out to Christ and whatever he calls us to. And so that's the reason we are all in. Um, and so just a couple of updates on that. So um, as it relates to finances, we um, are um, over six and a half weeks ahead of schedule on our financial goals. We're, we're blessed by that. We give God the glory for that. Um, we, we see him doing far more than we could have ever expected or imagined. We anticipate having our complete down payment um, ready to go by mid-December, which will be two and a half months ahead of schedule. Um, and then, of course, from there, anything else that we bring in goes against you know, principal and paying unexpected costs. And so God is showing himself to be more than faithful in the finances. Um, as far as the timeline is concerned, I want to let you know that we're in the very final stages of planning, design, replat. Um, we're anticipating having our replat done and recorded uh, sometime in early to mid-December, uh, and we'll have all of our uh, permitting documentation ready to turn in the very next day. Um, that's right now taking 45 to 60 days, which would put us about mid-February actually breaking ground on the new building, and we're excited about that. Um, we quite possibly even could get a pre-construction uh, permit to start moving dirt sometime in late January. Um, and then we're looking at a 10 to 12 month project, which means by maybe next Christmas, we potentially could be in the new building. And I wanted to just say something about all that. This is not about buildings and money, though those details are necessary. Um, this is about a journey to see God working powerfully like he's working in your life, in more lives in our community, and we're creating more space for more people to be a part of that amazing work. Um, I'm also excited about getting away from three services and going back to two. I know others of you are as well. Um, and, and I don't just mean that from like a work standpoint, like the workload. I know it is a lot of work for our tech volunteers, our worship team, those of you who serve. But I don't think we quite realize how much we miss not getting to see one another every Sunday. And so if you come to the last service or the first service and don't come in contact with other people who we're supposed to be living in community with, that takes a toll on a church family. It can cause us to feel disconnected or missing certain people. And I'm so excited to get back to two services 
with a, with a break in between and a commons area where we can be together as the church. Even if we're coming to different services, we still get a chance to see one another. And so I just can't tell you how excited I am to get to that point. This is not, for me, about new buildings or money. It's about you guys and us as a church and God doing an amazing work in us. So I want to give you all that info. Um, be looking for um, a behind-the-scenes uh, email coming out this week to members with more details on what I just said. We also have a quarterly mailer about to go out with even more details. And then at the end of October, the last Tuesday of the month, we're going to go ahead, and this wasn't scheduled, but we're going to do an all-member meeting because by then we'll probably even have more details about new building and that, and that process. And so we want to give you a chance to hear them and also ask questions, okay? So all that's coming up, exciting stuff. Now, we're continuing in our sermon series this morning uh, entitled uh, The Everyday Gospel, what we're doing. If you're visiting with us and aren't quite sure what that means, we're talking about how the gospel, this theology that Jesus came to earth to save sinners like you and I, lived a righteous life, died a sacrificial death, and then as we just sang, rose victoriously from the grave and ascended back to the right hand of the Father where he now sits patiently awaiting the time for him to come and together his bride, us, unto himself for all eternity. That gospel theology, how does that apply to my Monday morning? I know how it applies to my eternity, but how does it apply to marriage and work? And today we're going to be looking at parenting. Now, last week we were in Ephesians 5, looking at marriage, this beautiful blueprint that God, uh, by which God designed marriage to function and work. We saw the core purpose of marriage, which is different from a lot of our expectations when we get into marriage. It's different, right? And so this week, if we keep moving through Ephesians 5, right into 6, Paul's going to take that same theology now and apply it to parenting. So, a couple things we need to get off the table. First of all, I don't come to you this morning um, as one who has it down, okay? I'm 11 years into parenting, so I haven't been through the whole process yet, and I fail often and miserably as a dad. So I, my authority to come to you this morning is not founded in my expertise as a parent. I'm simply going to rely on the Word of God this morning, okay? Fair enough? Now, second to that, um, if you're here today and you're not a parent, I want you to know that what we're going to talk about today applies to you equally, okay? So this is everybody's tuned in today because what we're going to ultimately see this morning is that the core purpose in parenting, just like in marriage, applies to everybody. And parenting is simply a reflection of those greater truths. Now, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, we're going to go 1 through 4. Verse 1, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we have a clear biblical mandate. Children which everybody in the room is a child. Obey your parents. Honor your mother and father. Fathers, and you could just add into that moms as well. Parents, do not provoke your children to anger. That means stir them up to wrath. Engage them emotionally, stir them up emotionally, but instead do what? Discipline them and instruct them in the Lord. Now, this week is a lot like last week. If you remember, we looked in Ephesians 5 at the biblical mandate for marriage, and we talked about how skewed it is in our world today because of sin. 
We talked about how that creates this, this negative uh, uh, view or perspective on submission and sacrificial leadership. But what God was calling us to in Ephesians 5 was to a pre-fall disposition of what marriage was supposed to be from the beginning. Right? We talked about what's being painted in Ephesians 5 is Jesus saying, listen, church, I want to call you, even in your marriages, back to something God created in the beginning to be good and right and fruitful and life-giving. Not this messed up, broken version of marriage we have today. So what that said to us is that not only is Jesus saving me from my sins, he's restoring me back to my God-intended original purposes in marriage. Now we're going to apply that same thing to parenting. This is how God designed parenting to work. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden with their kiddos. Now, it seems in the Bible that Adam and Eve did not have kids before the fall. Kids came after that. Okay? That seems to be the chronological order. Okay? But, but if they had had Cain and Abel before the fall, what we would have seen before the fall is that Cain and Abel walked in obedience to Adam and Eve, listen, joyfully, because they knew what? Mom and dad have the best intentions for me. Mom and dad's wisdom is so much higher than my wisdom. It would be foolish to not follow their, their counsel for my life. It would be foolish to not obey their rules because their rules lead to what? Life, flourishing, joy. Cain, I'm so glad that God gave us our parents who, who put these rules in our life. We love rules. Now that's pre-fall, right? It's not the way it looks in my house and your house. And you would have seen Adam and Eve leading Cain and Abel with patience. When Cain and Abel forgot the rules or messed up, or right, pain, Cain, uh, Adam and Eve would have knelt down in patience, gentleness, instruction, time after time, instructing and teaching Cain and Abel what it meant to be God-fearing men. All of that was before the fall. Sin enters, right? And that's not how children's hearts work, is it? I mean, I've got two specimens at my house, right? And before I had them, I was a child. And inherently hardwired in my sin nature is not to obey mom and dad and believe that mom and dad have my best interests in mind. What is my bent? Rebellion, not obedience, right? I know what's best for me. And I'm gonna work this game, right, the best way I can so that in the end I get what I want, not what they want for me. Because we've convinced ourselves what? I know best. So instead of children just naturally obeying mom and dad because they believe it's good and right, children do what? And you and I are included. We rebel against mom and dad because we believe we know right. And parents, let's just be honest, parenting is frustrating. Right? On some level, every person in this room who is a parent has been tempted and more than likely given into the temptation to provoke our children to anger. This word literally means to stir them up emotionally to anger and wrath. Engaging our children, right, through emotion and anger and frustration and disappointment and engaging them in such a way that all we do is stir up their emotions. Guilty. Right? Guilty. Now, I know there's a couple of you who have all this down and you're like the perfect parents, but we don't want you to raise your hand because you're going to embarrass the rest of us who are struggling with this, okay? Okay? Let's just be honest. If we look at the different areas and arenas of human existence, probably the area of greatest accumulation of failure and sin is my parenting arena. 
I mean, marriage is right there with it. But at the end of the day, I've probably failed more as a dad than I have as in any other role God has called me to. Right? So what God's painting here in a picture, I'm thinking, in my flesh, that sounds good, God, but that's not the way it works in my house. If my, now, if my children would just do that, we're good. Right? If my, right, parents? If our children just wake up and just be obedient, if they would just acknowledge our wisdom, if they would just know that we have their best interests in mind and when we tell them no, it's a good no, if they would just love our rules, then yeah, I could not provoke them to anger. They don't do that. And what do we do? We create these if-then conditions. If my children do that, then I won't provoke them to anger. And God say, no, 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 no. That's not an if-then conditional commandment. I'm talking to children separately. Children do this. Set that aside. Now, parents, regardless of what your children do or don't do, here's what I'm calling you to. Do not provoke and stir your children up to anger and wrath. Now, we're going to break this down, and, and hopefully this will be helpful. Really embedded in the command to children is some insight on the command given to the parents. So the word that we get in the original language for obey is hupoakuo. Yeah, say that with me fast ten times. It's a Greek word. It's actually two Greek words put together, hupoakuo. The main part of that is the word akuo, okay? Now that word is the word that means to listen with intent right? To follow the instructions. It's what we talked about, like, are you listening to me? No, no, no. Are you listening to me, right? Are you focusing on the words coming out of my mouth that you might follow my instructions? Like, I need to see your eyes here. It's the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 7 when he says, hey, the man who listens or hears my words and does them, that's like the wise man who builds his house on the Okay, so you know that verse. Okay, that's the same word here. Jesus is saying, he who listens with intent to obey, it goes well for him. It's like a man who builds his house on a solid rock. And that's the same word being used here. Children, listen to the instruction and teaching of your parents. That sounds good, doesn't it, parents? How do we make that happen? Well, here's the thing. Embedded in that command to listen to the teaching of parents is this assumed reality that parents are going to be doing what? Teaching. If our children are going to listen to our instruction, then it's going to imply that you and I are going to be teaching. Now, if we look at the command to parents, we know the don't provoke them to anger part, but what is meant after that? Discipline them and train them. So that word discipline is really a teaching word. It's the idea of making disciples, teaching, instructing. And, and we really need to separate this from the way you and I think about instruction and teaching. And we've got a lot of teachers in the room. Um, we've got everybody in the room almost has been in a classroom. So when we hear teaching, that's what we think, right? Instruction. So, right, mom and dad come into the room. They set us down in chairs in a straight row. And we look up, we face forward, and they lecture us on the rights and wrongs and the do's and don'ts. Okay, that's teaching. No, that's not what's meant here, okay? So in first century culture, teaching didn't happen that way. It was more of a a mentorship uh, atmosphere where a rabbi would call students to come follow him and to take upon them his yoke or his teaching. And it wasn't a classroom lecture. It was a daily lifestyle of living. And so when Jesus, like in Matthew chapter 4, he says this to uh, the disciples, 
Come and follow me, and I will make you, what, fishers of men. He didn't say, come to my class on Tuesdays at 8 o'clock, and I'll teach you how to be a fisherman, and then you can go apply. He said, no, what, come live with me. Come walk with me. Breathe with me. Let's work this out in real-time mentorship here. So parents, you've been called to be rabbis unto your children. Whether you realize that or not, bringing them into the world, right, you've invited them to come follow you. Now, here's the question. Where are we leading them? What are, you, what are we teaching your children? You're teaching them something. Not teaching them is teaching them something. What are you teaching them? Discipline. Teach and instruct your children in the Lord. And this is an everyday transaction. It's like Deuteronomy 6, if you're familiar with the Old Testament principle. We're, we're told, parents are told to instruct their children in the Lord when? What time of day? Do you remember what follows? When you sit down in your house, when you walk along the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. All of life is the classroom. Parents, you are the teachers, the rabbis, the mentors who are calling your children to follow you as you hopefully are following Christ. That's the imagery here painted in Ephesians 6. Let's tap the brakes for a minute, pull the e-brake. But that's not how it goes in my house. Right? It's not how it goes in your house. I've got cameras, I know. It's not how it goes in your house. My boys don't wake up and roll out of bed looking for a command to obey. Oh, Father, please give me something to obey because it will lead to my good and my nourishment of life. Right? My children wake up with their own agenda on their minds. And somehow I got I to gotta bend their little wicked hearts towards what's right. Right? But, but let's just be honest, parents. We don't roll out of bed ready to be rabbis, do we? Ready to embrace our children where they are and ready to, be, to make teaching opportunities out of every moment and ready to instruct them and explain and, and give them the why behind why everything is. Isn't it funny that that's like the number one question our children ask? Why? They want to be taught. They want to be instructed. They want it to be explained to them. Now, we're going to talk for a minute about understanding the role of rules in the household and how grace works in that dynamic, okay? So the rules of your household, listen, are meant the same, to work the same way as the rules in the Bible. So the commandments you have for your children are meant to work in the same way that commandments work in here for you and I. So what's the role of the law, the commandments? Really twofold. One, in the commandments of God in the Bible, we see a reflection of his character. So if we want to know what God looks like, we read the Ten Commandments, and we get a portrait of his character, his goodness. Now, second to that, the law is meant, here's the second purpose, to show us where we're weak, where we mess up. Okay, so the rules in our household reflect, as parents, our virtues, things that we hold dear, right? Your rules reflect what you want your children to see as important, whether that's don't break this, don't mess this up, whatever it is. Second to that, the rules in your household show you where your children are weak. They show you where you're most needed in their life to mentor them, to disciple them, to be a rabbi unto them. Think about that. That's not how we use rules, is it? We use rules to try to manipulate our kids into doing what we want them to do. 
We use our rules to try to keep the household running and operating the way we want our household and, and to run and operate. And God said, well, that's not how the law works for you. Why would you use the law that way with them? Even, even more specific than that, did you know that the commandments in the Bible have value in them, they have glory in them, but they can't save you? The Bible says that, not, not just me. Show you reference after reference. The law is good, but it doesn't fix the human heart. Listen to this in Romans 8, verse 3. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So the law's got value, but the law has limits in, in, in terms of what it can do to change the human heart. So God did what the law couldn't do for us. What did God do? By sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. It can't be fulfilled by obeying it perfectly. You can't do that. I can't do that. Jesus can. He did. That was the point. He fulfilled the law for us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Jesus fulfilled and obeyed the law for us. Now, think about how we use the law in our own households. Let's just apply what the Bible just said about itself. Let's apply that to our rules. When we find ourselves frustrated, listen parents, and angry, when one of our children breaks our rules, our anger is rooted in self-idolatry. We are angry because our children broke our law. Right? That's why we get angry. We're frustrated. What we're really saying with our anger is what? You are interrupting my utopia. You're interrupting the world as I created it. Before you came along, your mother and I, we had this thing figured out. Things worked a certain way. We got up, we got in a routine, it took some work, we finally got there. Then you came along and just want to mess the whole thing up with this whole crying thing. This whole not sleeping through the night thing. Now your teething thing. Now you want to be potty trained? Come on. Right? And these children come along and kind of interrupt our utopia. And what we're saying with our anger is what? You broke my law. You're messing with my peace. Obey my rules so my world will operate according to my expectations. Now, now that's a reflection of our sinful nature, parents. That does not mean that rules do not have value in the home. Rules are good. The law is good. It has a value. So what role do rules play in our households as Christians? One, I just said it. Your, your rules reflect where your virtues are and your values are. So think about that with your rules. What do they teach your children about what's important in life? What's the greatest rule they can violate in the household? Is it being honest or breaking a window? Breaking trust or messing up the floor? Think about it, right? I mean, those are all things we don't want our kids to do, but where, what's most important? Second of all, listen, you're a rabbi, and you need to know where to press in on your kids. You need to know where they're broken and weak, and how do you know? You put rules out there and watch where they break them. Watch where your children break rules, and that'll show you as a parent where to step in and shepherd your child's heart. 
God's law alone does not change our hearts. So why do we think that our rules alone will change our child's heart? Now, we need the rules, but we need more than the rules. You follow me? Not saying we don't need rules, don't need discipline. We need more than that. And this is where instruction and discipline come in. Grace. Grace means that we don't engage our children emotionally when we discipline them. I I know it, it hurts, you're angry, you're frustrated. Some of us have to take a little time out first before we engage in time out with the kids. Why? Because we feel that anger welling up. And we need to take a step back and say, you know what, I'm going to handle this in a couple of minutes. Hey, there's still going to be there. There's still room to teach. Take a deep breath. Let God work on your heart. Get the emotions out of control. Now you're ready to engage as a rabbi and instruct them and teach them rather than provoking them to anger. Grace doesn't engage a child's heart with emotion, while it's emotionally charged. Grace doesn't engage a child's heart, listen to this one, with arbitrary authority. That's authority without reason, authority without explanation. This one's hard because this was a big one for me. Because I said so. That's arbitrary. Think about it. That's arbitrary. Now, should our children obey us? Yes. And if you're going to explain because I said so, that's fine. Which the explanation should go, God has placed me in authority over your life to determine what the rules for our household should be. And so because of that, this is a rule. You knew what the rule was. You broke it. You knew what the consequences were. So because you broke the rule, yeah, because I said so. But you see how that's explaining and teaching? And not just dropping an arbitrary statement in ultimately lazy parenting and saying, just because I said so, do it. That's arbitrary. That's not a fulfillment of this command. We're commanded to instruct and teach. Now, does this mean that we don't discipline our kids? Not at all. Discipline is there to teach our children what? There are consequences for action in life, right? You're going to grow up to be a, a, a big sinner one day, right? And the consequences are going to get even bigger. And so these consequences are meant to teach you that. But listen, the consequences do not change the heart. Put the consequences out there, but don't expect the consequences to fix your kid. We've got to do at least that and then more as parents if we're going to discipline them and instruct them in the Lord. Um, we're trying out a new, a new discipline at our house. Or I am. It's in the test phase, so I don't know if it's in the end when we, when we hang on to. Um, so uh, instead of timeout, I'm doing wall sits. Let's just be honest. Timeout can take too long sometimes, right? You're like, we got to pack up. we got to go. we got to be somewhere. We have to be in the car in seven minutes. You need 20 minutes of timeout. Here's the solution. Wall sit. Two minutes. That's all it takes. Now, I just started trying this out with, with, with our boys, and they're still in the giggly, hey, this is funny phase. Mm-hmm. So last night, we went from 30 seconds to two minutes. Not giggling anymore, right? Yeah. So it's, like I said, this is in the test phase. I don't know if we're going to stick with it, right? But rather than just time out. We're going we're gonna to turn a notch up a little bit, back against the wall, drop your hips, hands off your legs, and just sit there for 30 seconds. Oh, you would think that the house is on fire, like this is the end of the world, right? Now, that teaches my, whatever those consequences are, teaches my boys that when you break one of my laws, there is a result. There's a consequence that comes with that. That's the way the, the world works. That's the way God's law works. But the wall sits won't change my boy's hearts. If that's all I do, I'm falling short as a parent. I've got to be willing to come alongside that and say, now come on, let's talk. What was the rule? 
Make sure they know what the rule was. And then be willing to answer the why. Why? Why is that a rule? Well, here's why that's a rule. Teach them. Instruct them in the Lord. Let's talk for a minute about the myth of using rules or punishment to change hearts. I'm going to just read this the way I wrote it this week so I don't mess it up. It is a myth to think that there is a magic punishment out there that will change your child's heart. You follow me? You, you want them to act different, so you try something, and it doesn't work. We better try something else, and we're going to keep trying things until it, what, changes their heart. If we buy into this way of thinking, we will make the mistake of judging what we are doing as parents solely based on whether or not it appears to be, listen, working. When we rashly determine that a punishment isn't working, we either grasp out of desperate measures for something else, right? Or out of frustration, we give up altogether. And we say to our spouse, this is your kid. (laughs) You handle this, right? Where do those frustrations come from? Listen, if it's heart change you're after, listen to this. You must stay steadfast and consistent in patient discipline and instruction. Just because it's not working doesn't mean you need to change your course. Sometimes what your kids need to see is you're not changing course. The rules aren't changing. The consequence isn't changing. You're staying steadfast and consistent. Just because your child's heart isn't changing as fast as you would like does not mean that discipline and instruction aren't working. This word discipline, it means to teach and instruct. It also means to cultivate. To cultivate through correction and through curbing passions. Listen, that takes time and consistency, patience, endurance. Now, that's all practical stuff about parenting. Let's get to the core of the matter. What is parenting? Think about it. God designed parenting. The universe could have worked a different way. He designed parenting. Like it's in the blueprint of human existence that a man and a woman would leave their parents and be united together as one flesh. They'd be fruitful. They would multiply and have kids, raise them up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord. They at one point would leave their household, be united with somebody else, and so on and so forth. So God designed human flourishing to work. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to get some insight not only into discipline but into parenting as a whole. I want you to listen to these words. Starting in verse 5 of Hebrews 12. And have you forgotten? Now, just quick side note. That's a father speaking to a child. Have you forgotten? I, I would be interested to know, I know it's multiple times in the New Testament, God commands us to remember. Why are we commanded to remember? Because we forget. Oh, so we do the same thing our kids do. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And then he quotes Proverbs 3. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by it. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom the father does not discipline? 
So the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, when God disciplines you, it's evidence that you belong to him. It's a reflection of his love for you, right? So as Christians, as Christ's followers, as human beings, right, we should expect God to discipline us. Now look at what he does. Verse, jump to verse nine. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, being God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So a couple things. One, we were just told that if, if to be loved by God is to be disciplined by God. To be one of his legitimate kids means that we are disciplined by him. Two, we were reminded that discipline hurts in the moment, but it always produces fruit. It's to our good, right? But really the overarching theme of what we just read, I love here, is that my parenting role as a dad, your parenting role as a mom or dad, is meant to be a reflection of a greater reality. In the same way we looked at marriage last week, Right, that wives, your role is to follow your husband's lead the way that the church follows Jesus. And when you do that, you're reflecting that relationship. Husbands, lay your lives down for your wives daily. Love them sacrificially. When you do that, you're reflecting the greater reality of Jesus and the way he loves the church. We talked about that last week, how that relationship between Jesus and the church isn't the illustration reflecting our marriages. Our marriages are the reflection of the greater reality of Jesus and the church. Same thing is true in your parenting. That's what we just read. You are a parent as part of your role as an image bearer. You are called to parent your children as a reflection of the way God parents you. Does God discipline you? Yes. But does God stir you up to wrath? No. Does God engage you emotionally and lash out on you? No. He engages you with consistency patience, right? He walks us through hard moments, hard seasons, hard events. He uses them for our good. And and listen, parents, that's our role. That's the essence of why God called you to be a parent. Reflect who he is. So, listen, our children, who we hope to grow up and love the Lord one day and have a relationship with him, would have a pale reflection of what that's supposed to look like. Right? Right? That they would know as we lay out rules and then consequences for those rules, then we teach them about those rules and we, we cultivate their souls, that that's just playing in the groundwork so that one day they might take that to another level and that would be their relationship with God. So when God says no to them, they don't react with a rebellious heart, an angry heart that says, you don't know what's best for me. Why? Because as parents, we have taught them that in our own households, that they would learn to trust discipline, trust that our rules are for their good, If you lead with arbitrary authority in your household, your children are never going to see that. You haven't been called to be this arbitrary, authoritarian dictator in your home. You've been called to be a rabbi, to teach consequences, explain them, answer the why. Now, what do we do? Because here's the reality, I think, for most of us. We go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. 
but I'm a mess. I'm a mistake. I'm just one mistake after another as a parent. Or maybe you're thinking, hey, it's already, I wish I'd had this advice 30 years ago or 20 years ago because they're already out. Great. Now what do I do? Listen, this is where the gospel comes in. This is where the grace of Jesus becomes rich to you. This is where the grace of Jesus is more than enough to cover your failures. Whether your kids are out of the home or still in your home, parent, hear me in this. There's either enough grace in the cross or there's not. And God, with a huge megaphone from heaven, is saying to you, there's enough. There's enough. There is enough. The grace that's available to you costs me my son. Think about that. God uses a father-son relationship to display and illustrate to us the depth of his love and his grace in the gospel. If you say to God, your grace is not enough to cover my failures, I'm just a screw-up, then God would say, well, my, my son wasn't enough? You needed more than that? You needed more than the perfect son of God to die for your sins? Well, no, God, that's right. Why? Because his grace is sufficient. It's enough to cover my failures and your failures. I was talking to a good friend this week who um, I haven't seen in a long time, haven't talked to very often, but he's become a parent since last time we hung out. And I was just asking him about how, his, how it was going being a daddy. And he was just talking to me about how all the things that he believed as a Christian, as a concept, have now become like these real truths to him. And the primary one is God's unconditional love. He was just talking about like when he gets frustrated with his, his little kiddo or he gets angry or whatever, and he's then afterwards he looks back and he's like, but I still like, love this little thing that made me so angry. I still, I still don't, wouldn't trade him for anything. And he says, in that I get this reflection of God's unconditional love for me. Now listen, whether you're a parent or not, this applies to you. Okay, hear me on this. This applies to you. Because here's the reality. And parents, listen up. Before you are a parent, you are a child. Before your role as mommy or daddy is your role as God's son and daughter. That's where the gospel lands on you and covers you. If you're not even a parent, that applies to you. You are first a child, then from there we parent. Follow me? That what we do with our children would be a reflection of what God the Father does with us. Our patience would reflect his patience. When our children forget again, we would treat them the way God treats us when we forget again. When, we act in re- when they act in rebellion and break our rules and put their fists in the air against our authority, we would react to them the same way God does with us when we do the same thing to him and rebel against him. I don't know where you are today in your walk with the Lord. You may not even be a Christian. I'm so glad you're here. You may not even be a parent. I'm so glad you're here. This is the gospel truth. God loves you, and there is more than enough grace to cover your failures, whether they're parenting failures or not. You hear me? And there's enough. How do I know there's enough? Because he paid for it. He purchased it with his son. He didn't throw chump change at your salvation. He threw his son on the cross for your salvation. There's more than enough. And I want you to hear that today. And here's how you receive that. Faith coming to Jesus and saying, listen, here's the mess I've made. Here's my life. Here's my parenting failures. Here's my marriage failures. Here's my just being a human being failures. Here's all my sin. Is there enough grace to cover that? And Jesus said, there's more than enough. More than enough. Come to me. I want to land here today um, 
we're about to sing a song together. It's a song we sing often here. It's um, I Need You. And we don't sing this song a lot here because it's got a catchy tune. We sing that because it's one of the most powerful things we can do is to confess our deep need for God. Do you know that? One of the most powerful things you can do is to be weak and cry out to God. And so that's what we're going to do together. We're going to cry out, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Before we do that, I want to pray and I'll let you know that our prayer partners are going to be at the front of the room. As our worship team comes back up, our prayer partners are going to come forward. I'm going to pray and then we're going to respond. You might want to sing. You might want to stay seated and pray. You might want to grab a prayer partner. I'm going to encourage you to respond however God's working in your life today. Let's pray together and we'll respond. Father, thank you for reminding us today. God, just in that one word, remind. God, we are reminded of the essence of parenting. That, God, we should see our roles in our children's life less as a, a dictator of authority and more as a rabbi and teacher mentoring and discipling our children. God, thank you that you've entrusted to us children <laughs> with all the heartache that comes with that, all the frustrations that come with that. God, what an honor and calling you've placed on our lives, God, that you've entrusted them unto us. And more than that, thank you for providing enough grace to cover over our failures that when we don't get it right and we mess it up, God, you're still good and you're able to work and shape and cultivate. God, as parents, teach us how to teach our children. God, that we may show them what to do with failure and sin and rebellion. God, I pray for any person here who's struggling to believe the gospel truth that you would stir in them right now. To trust in the work that Jesus has done for them and that alone. To believe that his grace is enough. God, we cry out together, oh Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name.